Up next on Inside the SCCA, catching up with a Hall of Famer. Welcome to this episode of Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Belansky. And this week, we continue our series of episodes uh, highlighting and leading up to the 50th anniversary of the SCCA Solo Nationals this year in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, It's been in several different places over the years. And uh, joining me this evening is none other than the solo legend and SCCA Hall of Famer, Roger Johnson. Roger, how are you, sir? Great. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Welcome to the show. So when uh, all of us got together, Howard Duncan and Hayward Wagner and, and, and I got together and started talking about uh, what we're going to do to lead up to the solo nationals, uh, we came up with this plan to get a couple of people together. And we're doing six episodes, I believe, uh, and uh, to talk about some of the uh, some of the best folks uh, in, in the club and involved. And uh, we uh, identified the folks we want to talk to. And you are one of the folks on the list. You've got a fairly significant history here, and uh, that's why you're here. You're a Hall of Famer. You went into the Hall in 2008. Uh, I see on your the pictures you sent me and on the Hall of Fame page uh, a Corvette guy, and I think yep. you had some uh, fairly significant um, uh, dealings on the commercial side of the Solo Nationals. We're going to talk about that a little bit, and uh, welcome to the show. Well, thanks again. Now, in, in fairness, I have to tell you that um, I spent a little bit of time in a Viper. Oh, okay. And uh, also, um, probably my favorite uh, car was a 1971 Pinto that I got to run with my son. So We're going to talk about that story here, definitely. Oh, great. I love the father-son stories. We're coming just off of, um, coming just off of um, Father's Day. Uh, I started in this crazy sport with my dad. And, yep. uh, so, uh, so I'm going to start with the question that I ask everybody who was on the show. If you've watched the show, you, you, you know, what's coming. Um, how did you get mixed up in this, in this thing we call racing? I think just out of high school, um, somehow, some way, um, I discovered the TSD rally in the Toledo area. Um, they used to, um, in the important sports cars section of the Toledo Blade and the classifieds, they'd put a, um, if there was a rally going on, and, you know, I'm reading import um, uh, sports car uh, want ads, dreaming and lusting like all of us. And um, I had a friend that was a little bit older who had a Rambler American, and we went out and ran a TSD rally. Um, uh, Non-SCCA, it was some independent local club, but... Um, yeah, out running a rally in a Rambler American. And that was in what year? Oh, dear me. Probably 1967 would be my guess. Yeah. And it just, that was your childhood dream car. Yeah. <laughs> the Rambler was, that was my buddy's. He had a driver's license. I didn't. So obviously you navigate, but. Uh, we ran two or three. We did well. We won a rally put on by the Corvette Club, and they were so angry that uh, a Rambler had won that uh, they didn't give us the trophy. But we decided that we were ready to try an SCCA event, and off we went and got lost on the odometer check. Um, uh, so that ended my SCCA career for a few years. 
for those who might not have done road rally, you start by by checking the odometer. They give you a short mile or two uh, distance to drive, maybe five miles, to make sure that your your odometer is is synced up with the uh, with the rally master's odometer. Yep. And uh, getting lost, I got to tell you, getting lost on the odometer check is pretty impressive. Yeah, we did. We went <laughs> to the bar, and um, I think I came back, uh, found an SCCA rally. Uh, I was living in a little town south of uh, Toledo by then. A uh, local guy put on a charity event that um, I had a Corvette by then, so I wanted to go run this rally. And um, At work, I went, you know, if you need a rally partner to navigate, the logical place is to go to the IT department and um, <laughs> grab a guy in IT, and we went out and um, uh, ran some. Started with uh, the Northwest Ohio region running uh, TSD rallies. So, and about what year was that? That would have been uh, 1978. Yeah, 1978 or 79, I think. Yep. All right. So I'm not a youngster, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. An IT department in 1978. What was that guy's job? <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's it, it, in that day it was uh, mainframe IBM okay. System Three stuff. Sure. Um, um, uh, the thought of a PC or, or anything of the nature. Um, in fact, I think our company was one of the last people to buy one of those IBM dinosaurs, mm -hmm. and um, uh, you know, you had to have the programming and everything else run it. But I figured. Boy, a guy that can do that's going to be a math wizard, and he can do me really well um, as um, as a rally navigator, and and he did. He was great. So, uh, and and while the IT person might be the best person to go after as a navigator, um, your significant other is not. Let me just put oh, that out there. Oh, oh, um, oh, although, oh, oh dear, oh dear, no, no, no. There are. Um, 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 I, I I have a, a wonderful wife and. Um, <laughs> We, 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 we are as different as, um, as is possible. And one of those differences is certainly um, um, uh, car stuff. She's not a car person. She's not going to be a car person. We're not going to um, run a rally together. That's, that's a sure way to have to pay um, alimony and child support. Yeah, yeah. Although I will say there are a lot of rally couples who have been really Very successful, and I, and I don't know how they do it. <laughs> yeah. Not at my house. No, no, no. <laughs> the other thing you don't want to teach your wife how to do is how to play golf. They should. You should hire an instructor and let that person do that teaching. I tried yeah, that. The, the 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 challenge on our end was um, um, teaching her to drive a manual transmission, uh, and yeah. I relegated that task to a, um, a great friend in in the club, um, who was also one of the rally uh, folks, and my wife went out with her and. Um, mastered uh, a manual transmission at literally in, in 30 minutes or less yeah. after I had spent. So no, no there are just some things that <laughs> you understand. I do. I do. All right. So that's your, your rally career. When did you cross over to the, the wonderful world of now we call it solo. It's also been called autocross. My guess is that it might've been called Jim Connor when you started. Not, not, not that Jim Connor was, at least in this part of the world. And, you know, Rocky uh, handled the transition so, so well in your time with him. But uh, the Gymkhana stuff around uh, Toledo, at least, was pretty well gone by the late 70s. Okay. 
and um, it, it was autocross and uh, an independent club, and then um, uh, the SCCA region putting that on. Um, my rally friends were, um, they, we had a special autocross here once a year. Dana Corp would let us use a, a two and a half mile oval test track. Oh wow! To do a to do a solo, so they asked me to come out to um, help work tech and you know registration and things, and registered me in the event without telling me ahead of time. <laughs> of course they did, and of course you know I've got this Corvette that, that, that you know I'm there's no way I'm going to abuse that car like what these people were about to do, <laughs> but. Um, on my bucket list had been a number of things. One was driving competitively and another was um, doing stand-up comedy. And I've always wanted to sing in a barbershop quartet. But now sir, there's that opportunity to drive competitively. And um, I was 100 feet into my first run uh, and, and, and hooked. Saying, this is it. This is, this is what I want. It's the right level of risk, the right level of investment. Um, my skill level ceases at about 70 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> autocross is below that. So I think, um, yeah, I was flat hooked. Um, uh, 100 feet into my first run, an event that I had no intention on, on entering. And who is responsible for the, 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 the man who is now an SCCA Hall of Famer? Who signed you up? Oh, dear. Um, um, accident and fate and, um, karma and, um, uh, sheer blind luck. You know, it's, it's, um, that issue of not so much, um, 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 looking and seeking and driving for opportunity, but rather grabbing it when it happens to flip by your, um, 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 within your grasp. So yeah, lots of, um, uh, accidental things along the way and um, um, right time, right place kind of thing. Sure. You know, I'm a really an analog guy and, and autocross in today's world is, um, is, is a lot, lot, lot more technical. You know, we'd go out with um, um, liquid shoe polish to check tire pressures yeah. and the seat of our ass to um, um, tell how well we had done on a given run and the, and a, and a stopwatch. In today's world with cameras and data acquisition and on and on and on, um, I, I, I wouldn't be nearly as successful. Um, so, you know, going back to your initial question, Brian, I think uh, timing and just blind luck had a lot to do with, um, with um, us sitting here talking. Sure, sure. So you mentioned the shoe polish. Um now I have not done an autocross since 1990, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm making an attempt to get to Lincoln this year for the first time, and uh, and I'm gonna try to get one or two events in here in Southern California before that happens. Um, but if I don't, I'm still gonna go and I'm still gonna sign up and 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 just have some fun with it with absolutely no uh, expectations of a finishing order. <laughs> if I finish last, that's fine with me. Um, but but I don't know. When I was doing it, we used the uh, the shoe polish as well to kind of see where the, the 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 tire was leaning over and how much you were using. I'm assuming that that's not what we're doing anymore. Now they're using things like pyrometers and stuff like that, absolutely. right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, you know, um, uh, digital pyrometers rather than the probes. Sure. 
and 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 on and on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, far beyond my um, my skill level. And um, I got in at the right time, and I got out at the right time. Right, right. So when was when did when was the year that you got in? What year was that? Um, first thought across that one I spoke of was late um, late seventy eight. I think I had joined the club that year. Um, I might be off by a year, Brian, but um, um, I went and, and you know I went to my uh, that event where I I just fell in love with it. But I mean I got I got my tail handed to me sure. on a plate by um, a guy with experience. And as always, um, the typical male, <laughs> um, there are two things in this life that we think we're really good at with no practice, no skill, no training, no anything. <laughs> and one of them's driving. Of course. And I got beat so badly that day that um, never mind, I was on the OE tires that yeah. The Firestones GM put on that Corvette and the guy I'm running against was on Hoosiers. I didn't know that meant anything. And, right. and uh, he'd been doing it for eight, nine years. And I didn't know that meant anything. So my response was to go cheat like hell. I uh, ripped off the catalytic converter, recurved the distributor, rejetted the carburetor, went to my next event, ready to get him. And he beat me um, uh, just as badly. Um, so then the answer was, I got to buy a new car. I got to get a car that will. <laughs> so I got rid of my 78 base model Corvette and ordered a 79 better engine, better suspension. And uh, went to my first event and run into that guy. And wouldn't you know it. <laughs> got beat again. Bingo. <laughs> so, but, you know, and, and, and in seriousness, that's probably one of the bigger challenges that, um, that a new autocrosser faces is to be able to handle the uh, humility um, that it needs to develop the skill set. Right. And again, being the, an American male, um, we just know that we're great drivers. Well, All we need is a chance to show it. And, and, and let's add to the fact that, you know, we, we drive in the winter up where you're from and where I grew up. So that makes us think we're even better drivers, you know, man, we, oh, my, yes. we can drive oh, in sure. the snow, we can drive on the ice, you know, we've got, yep. you know, we've been doing this for years, you know, um, yep. so, so, you know, we have this additional thought process that, you know, well, if I can, yep. if I can drive on, on winter roads to get back and forth to wherever I can do this, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and again, you know, the other thing too is, um, Brian, have you ever played golf? I play golf a lot. I'm actually. One of those people that doesn't doesn't consider himself someone who plays golf. I actually consider myself a golfer. Good. I I, I went out. I play golf occasionally, um, but you know I I don't remember ever breaking out of triple digits mm -hmm. for a round of um, of golf. It's not my thing. Um, I bowled occasionally, um, but boy, that's not my thing. Um, you know, and whatever you know, there's so many things we can do with our time and our money. Um, Autocrossers, you know, somebody that comes out, tries it, and walks away, um, uh, the dedicated folks are dismayed right away that, oh, my God, we're doing these horrible things and discouraging these people. Well, number one is that realization of it takes practice, skill, time to right. develop. 
And number two is it's not for everyone, just like golf, bowling, basketball. They aren't for everyone, but we try them and um, 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 happily walk away. I'm, I'm thrilled that you've uh, been able to succeed at golf. Good for you. <laughs> well, semi, semi-successful. I, I break out of the triple digits on occasion. Um, but there is a correlation between golf and, and motorsports, and I've talked about it on the podcast a lot. Motorsports, if you let's say you're going to do f- five or six runs on the autocross course, or you've got 50 laps on a race weekend with practice and qualifying, and, and you, just like in golf where you're going to hit pretty much every round, unless you're just starting out, um, one shot that feels good, looks good, and and goes a long way relatively straight or where relatively where you want it to go. And in motorsports, if you've got five or six runs, or you've got 50 laps, you're going to hit one run or one lap at least over the course of a weekend that feels really good. Might Bingo. Not, it might not be the fastest on the time charts, but it feels really yep. good. It gives you the, enough hope that I, I, can, I, I can be good at this someday. And it yep. makes you keep yep. coming back. Yeah, no, well, very, you're, you're spot on. Well said. Um, in, in 25 years of uh, doing that stuff and, you know, running every event I could, two day weekends, Corvette Club would run on Saturday, on and on and on. I can still count on one hand uh, the number of passes I made where when you're done, um, you sit there and you go, you know what? Win or lose, um, that's the best I can do. That's that's it for me. I'm thrilled. That's that's my uh, best effort, and that reward, you know, just like a great um, 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 golf game or even a great one hole, um, keeps you coming back. Absolutely, absolutely. So you're a Hall of Famer. You you were a Hall of Famer, one of the early classes. I think the third class that was inducted, which means you had some success. Um, Folks in the Hall of Fame either did a ton of stuff in the background of the club to make the club better and all that kind of stuff, or they had some success on the competitive side or a combination of both. Um, what year was your first trip to nationals? Do you remember? Uh, 19, 1981. And how, how did you do that first year? Uh, I won. So now we know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, you know, that. It wasn't like I was this great stellar driver. Um, uh, frankly, there wasn't a huge amount of competition. It was all fairly new folks like me, with one exception. Um, and here I am with this 79 Corvette. And um, by that time, I'd been in it two years and uh, 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 worked pretty hard at, at developing skills and wheel alignments and tire pressures and shave tires and on and on and on. So I've got a 1979 Corvette, okay, which in the time was, yeah, not bad. The guy that came within inches of kicking my tail to um, second or third or worse was driving a Shelby GT350, a straight axle, skinny tired. Um, 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 I mean, he did. He was. He drove way better than I did, but the, you know the car difference between that. GT350 um, and the Corvette. I mean, just in tire size alone, Brian. Right. Um, I should have been spotting him uh, uh, two seconds, of course. And um, um, so again, luck luck played a huge part. 
Well, and so that's what probably fifteen years of technology difference between that Shelby oh, GT three hundred and fifty yeah. and your seventy nine yeah. vet. Yeah, easily straight yeah. axle, tiny tires, um, uh, tough to get the power on the ground. I mean, he outdrove me every way there was, but. But it, but again, now you've now you're continually you're you're hooked and rehooked and rehooked and rehooked, yeah. and and you start coming back, um, and and you come back in in. How many national championships do you have? Um, in, in the solo two side, uh, six. Six. Was it a string yeah. of six, or did it? Were they? No, all- no, 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 no. On and off. You know, um, um, the vagaries of um, did you have a good day or not? Um, the years of, um, 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 you know, where the the car classification system. Um, uh, I mean, there was one year they had those monster Corvettes running against uh, uh, Mini Cooper S was in the class hmm. and uh, Jensen Healy's and uh, uh, 914.6s, um, you know, so so class differences, a, a, a bad day driving, um, you know, I, 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 lots of reasons that one year you'd win and the next year you wouldn't. It, you know, what kind of day are you having today? You know? Exactly. So, so which classes... Um, did you stick with the same class over your whole time, or did you upgrade with yeah, over the yeah, years? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I stayed with um, uh, B stock and then Super Stock. Um, that '79 Corvette um, stuck with me in the early Pro Solo days, and um, um, God, I love that car. But uh, by the time the fourth generation Corvettes came out, '84, uh, some people tried them. '85, they were getting better, and by '86. Um, uh, obviously if you're going to run a Corvette in that class. So uh, my wife had been wanting a third child that I had resisted. Um, I needed a new car and, uh, <laughs> we, we made a deal. She got the, um, she got the, uh, our youngest and, um, I got a new Corvette. It so, and worked out well for both of us, frankly. So how, how, how does your youngest feel that they were a straight up trade for a Corvette? <laughs> <laughs> she um, she was a little upset. Um, uh, by the time she got married, I had uh, I had sold it, um, and she was a little upset because she wanted that car for her wedding, and um, I knew uh, I knew who had it and had arranged to borrow it back. Nice. Um, but um, it's been a great family story to yeah. um, um, and uh, obviously um, it worked out well for all of us. So I'm going to digress for a little bit um, now that I know that you're a Corvette guy. Um, so I grew up in the, you know, I was a teenager in the 80s and uh, and the Corvette was my dream car, my teenage dream car. And um, the like you said, you know, the 84s came out and they had some issues. And by 86, I kind of had it all figured out. Um, and I'm looking around now today and the 86s in, in Southern California, A, they're pretty clean. Um, but they're like right at the low end of their depreciation right now. Um, and I've seen them for five, six thousand dollars. I'm trying to make that same that same deal, except we're not having any more kids uh, yeah. with my wife. Um, but I think I can grab an 86 in somewhat decent shape, maybe an 87 um, for right around six or seven thousand dollars. Should I jump in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, in, in, in the world of. Um... Uh, performance cars, um, you know, the Corvette's always, always been a bargain. Um, 
for you know if you equate performance versus uh, cost sure it still is but you know obviously the 86 has got a soft spot in my heart and you're going to get a biased review here but um that was one of the things that that um was the luck part of what i'm talking about um i didn't know that much about these cars well lo and behold um the um, optional engine that year, the L82, has a camshaft um, grind that's basically from the old 350-horse 350s of the 1969-1970 period, which have monster bottom-end torque. Well, gosh, what do you want for autocross? Bottom-end torque. Monster bottom-end torque. Yeah. Sheer, sheer luck. Number two, um, in, in looking at, you know, my, one of my backgrounds is vehicle dynamics and some of the training stuff I've done. But I had theorized um, by accident the 79 was an automatic. So when I get to buying an 86, I bought an automatic. Um, it was my opinion that in that setting, um, you didn't want to upset the car with a throttle, upset the suspension with a throttle. And an automatic transmission sort of cushions that. Number two, we're dealing with Pro Solo now with, um, um, you know, drag race starts. Mm -hmm. um, consistency can be attained a lot better with an automatic. So for those reasons, I bought another automatic. But lo and behold, uh, that generation had a 2700 stall speed torque converter. You know, I learned all this stuff later, but <laughs> matched up against the bottom end torque of that engine, the stall speed of that torque converter, I mean, this thing launched like, uh, like it had another hundred horsepower easily. Right. So when you, when you get to that point, I mean, it's, I, I assume you're not buying this to be a track car. No, I'm buying it to drive till I'm till I no longer on this earth. Bingo. There you go. Yeah. Uh, what a great investment. But again, some of the numbers, I mean, it became that 86, 87 Corvette with that combination uh, with the automatic um, um, was exceedingly popular. There's some pictures still around of some of the grids um, in the late eighties that, that like the nationals, uh, somebody coined the phrase a uh, million dollar grid hmm. because there'd be, you know, 30 or 40 cars in the class. Right. Um, it was almost a spec class at that point. Um, in fact, I got some backing um, uh, on the commercial side, uh, I, I had some nice involvement with the folks at Hydromatic. Um, um, they uh, they came along with some uh, with some help. So let's talk about that for a second. You know, solo is not the sexiest form of motorsports out there. Um, it's uh, you know kind of like a secret to a lot of folks. It's it's less and less so now that we have YouTube. Um, and everyone has a GoPro camera and they're putting their stuff on, on YouTube and showing it to their friends and their family. But, yep. um, but back in the day, you know, when I would tell someone I was going to an autocross, they'd look at me like I had three heads. Um, and, and even today, you know, we're trying to go and take the podcast to Lincoln and I'm trying to get some sponsors for it, for the podcast. And it's not an easy sell. Um, how did you find some success on the commercial side of things. So I know you had some relationships with BFG and, yep. and, um, and you just said Dynamax. How did you, how did you get yep. those folks on board? And maybe is there something we can learn from that? Well, it, 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 probably not. I mean, that, <laughs> that was probably along the way, one of the biggest accidents or 
uh, issues of fate or karma. Um, we talk, I got involved in the club um, locally, um, 78 perhaps, um, seven, yeah, maybe 79, whatever. But within six months of joining uh, the local region, um, the guy that was regional executive comes along and says, um, I, um, um, you need to be regional executive next. Typically in our area, it was a two-year sentence. His two years was up. <laughs> two-year sentence. He figured um, the number one job you need is to find your successor. Makes sense. Sure. So I think 1980, I was regional executive. And then um, another Hall of Famer, um, uh, Wayne Zitkus from my region, kind of a gruff guy, comes up and he goes, you think you know what this club's about and, uh, you know, this local stuff. If you're going to be any good, you need to go to the uh, annual convention. Sure. All right. Annual convention that year was in Denver and um, midwinter. And I went out and, you know, you're just sitting there, you know, you don't know anybody from a little region in Ohio, you, you know, just looking, watching, observing, trying to learn. Lo and behold, there's another guy there in the same boat, um, not from a region, but with BF Goodrich. And he came to uh, SCCA to try and replicate their success uh, that they had had doing um, off-road uh, truck uh, events, yep. Baja, those kind sure, of things. Sure, sure, yeah. They were noted for. He wanted to take that into SCCA Pro Rally. Okay. And so he and I kind of ran into each other among the three, 400 people there and talked a little bit. And then, lo and behold, I win in some raffle a set of tires. Uh, uh, I win it. No, I win a set of Yokohama tires. Okay. Well, Yokohama didn't make anything big enough for a Corvette. Okay. So this guy says, um, well, I know the dealer here in Denver that donated those tires. I'll see if he, he'll switch them to, to BF Goodrich TA radials. Yep. So lo and behold, I start the 1980 autocross season on a set of BF Goodrich GA radials, which were a significant upgrade from the OE Firestones that GM put on the car. So, I mean, and then it developed from there. They came out with some new tires, and then I was having some success. Like I said, one in 81 then on, on those tires. Um, and then there was... Um, uh, the slammed mini, uh, mini truck phase came along and they came out with a line of tires that were nice, low sidewalls to fit that, but they also worked for uh, autocross. Okay. So just absolute sheer luck that I ran into that guy, Brian. So so there was a time, and, and it sounds like probably for 10, 12 years, where the hot tire in Solo was BFG, because I know that's what I had in in. 88 when I did my when I yep. had my stellar solo career in a four-cylinder Chevy Cavalier in G-Stock I think it was and uh nice. but yeah so I went out and and put those on and um had fun with that um and then eventually now it's it switched to Yokohama was a hot setup for a long time with the A007s yep. and um and then now I hear it's it's Hankook and and uh, Falcon is real popular, and uh, I think Kumo makes a pretty pretty stout solo tire as well. Um, but but back in the time, no one was targeting solo for anything, you know, let alone tires, right? No, no, they weren't. But you know, and the first was 
um, Yokohama, actually, that, that um, um, targeted. They came along with um, a tire, my gosh, um, I'm thinking 84 time frame, maybe. Um, it was the 001R. And um, they managed to sell the comp board and the solo board that this was great new technology. These were not fast wearing Hoosiers or, you know, race type rubber compounds that they sold um, um, the solo board and the comp board both that these should be uh, legal tires and showroom stock and stock class um, autocross. Um, and virtually all it was was the beginning of the tire wars. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Virtually all it was was the beginning of the tire wars. Um, and it went on with, uh, uh, Goodyear got involved a little bit, um, but for a number of years later in the 80s, it was BF Goodrich and Yokohama uh, banging each other um, over the head with the next uh, uh, softer compound. It it hit its peak in 1988 with, um, uh, Goodyear, BF Goodrich, and Yokohama, all delivering, constructing, and delivering um, uh, really special trick tires for the Solo Nationals of all things. And uh, at that point, the Solo Board went uh, no more, and that pretty much brought it to an end. There were a couple instances of uh, 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 where people stepped over the line, but it the, those big wars of of uh, uh, softer, 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 and tires that lasted for, um, now we're down to, uh, you know, uh, how many, can you get a dozen runs out of them? At one point, Yokohama had tires that were phenomenal on the first run, and by the fourth, they were gone. Wow. I mean, it got that that strong. And and, but, and that's a tire that four runs, I'm going to guess that's what, two and a half miles of driving, if that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and again, that that was the extreme. Right. Um, um, but the big play was, uh, number one, Yokohama was trying to crack the North American market. Sure. And they know, uh, like, uh, I mean, the best example is the tire rack. Um, the tire rack has been involved with us for so, so long because our folks are opinion leaders. You get every SCCA member when when cousin ralph needs tires for his car he asks us yep um, uh, where what kind what should i get and that was a big thing for yokohama in the early days is to break into this north american market 
Um, the BFG lien was uh, more in the OE direction. Um, they were owned by Michelin uh, by that time, and they wanted the OE fitment on the Corvette. They did everything they knew how to be to replace Goodyear. It's been forever the OE tire on Corvettes. Um, so th their marketing through us was directed at building a performance image that could get them the OE business. That and was what they, they were it? looking for. Did they finally get it? No, no. It, but, it, at some point, uh, Corvettes switched over to Michelin's as their, as yeah, their exactly. Um, the, the, the success came, um, uh, from Michelin standpoint. Um, all right, let's back up to Lee Iacocca. Um, when Chrysler was in big, big, big trouble, um, between, uh, uh, the only tire manufacturer that continued to ship them product when they couldn't pay for it was Goodyear. So they developed, you know, decades of loyalty at, um, at Chrysler and, BFG got the OE fitment on the first Viper in 1994, but the uh, folks at uh, Michelin decided that that wasn't the right image for BF Goodrich to be on the Viper, so they put a Michelin on 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 the Viper instead. Got it. And that that's where my involvement there. We did some uh, development work and driving and tire testing for um, for the. Uh, um, uh, Viper stuff. Right, right. But again, the, the whole tire thing, Brian, uh, uh, was marketing. You know, Yokohama wanted a performance image among um, um, the sports car crowd. Uh, BF Goodrich wanted that performance image, especially at GM. Sure. And, um, you it, you know, you win races. You know, it, you might, you know, you're not old enough. If you remember the days BFG did a... Um, what was that T radial series with IMSA years okay. and years okay. ago? Yeah, that um, was was that the Firehawk series? No, it wasn't because no, that would have been Firehawk. No, that was Firestone. <laughs> but yeah, same same thing. Same idea. But you know the the, the advantage that Autocross has is number one, it, it's accessible, right? To um uh, uh, and affordable for folks, and number two is how many people there are doing it. Right. And uh, I've heard numbers like a hundred thousand. Uh, people that autocross occasionally, uh, who knows what the numbers really are, but that those folks that sit there and go, um, when my sister calls, what kind of tires do I put on my minivan? Right. Um, and I can say either BF Goodrich or go to the tire rack. Yep. Well, and, and that's the case for all of us in the club. And this is a good lesson to be, to be learned if you're going to go and, and try to find even your local tire guy or, or any kind of, of support, regardless of what level or which discipline you're you're doing. Um, when I'm at work, I work in, at a radio station. I used to work at a television station here in L.A. And even throughout the years, when people find out that I'm involved in racing, you know, any problem with their car, they come to me first and ask me about it. You know, yeah. if if they're going to go buy a new car, if they have a, if they have something wrong with their car, you know, and or if they've gotten an, this is my favorite. They get an estimate to get their car fixed. And I am their 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 sounding board as to whether the, the estimates um, uh, good or not, um, sure. and and that's something we should talk about when we're talking with potential sponsors and 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 people who we might be trying to get support. Is that we're kind of not kind of we're thought leaders in yep. this sector, and yep. and yep. Um, that's really important. It is, yeah. 
subject matter experts. Um, uh, what do you call it with the uh, internet today? Influencers. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. influencers. So, um, and um, that that played well coming in. I mean, it was you know the uh, the ties with um, a division of the Monroe Shock Observer Group. Um, it was Walker Muffler. They came mm -hmm. out with some cat back uh, systems that I got tied up with those guys again by accident. Um, but these folks um, in the eighties um, came to autocross as a way to reach large numbers of people that participated. So today we have, in addition to autocross in, in the global motorsports world, not just in the SCCA, uh, we have HPDE, we have time trials, we have track days, we have um, all these different opportunities for people to get their street cars out on different types of things to do, um, to, 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 to scratch that itch, as, as my, my good dear friend G-Dub Henderson would say. Um, and all of that, in my opinion, was born out of autocross, right? Uh, yeah, autocross and the variations of the same. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the um, at the the timeline starting uh, in the late '40s with um, you know time trials at Thompson in Connecticut, and right. um, um, then uh, you know the whole Gymkhana concept of uh, you know even though it was garages and stopping and braking and reverse and. But, you know, there was that whole evolution that um, um, you're right, that, that came then to autocross. And then I think in the last 20 years, we've seen not just this linear um, uh, uh, progression, progression of, of sport, but it's really branched out. And as you said, um, awareness is one thing that it's easy for people to find us, to find the things that we do. And to find what the options are and to find their niche. Um, I mean, you look at, overall, my God, the, the car hobby is massive. Yeah. And you got the polishers on and on and on. And so we each need to find our niche. And now on the driving side, the competitive side, um, there's so, so many options uh, uh, compared to what there were perhaps even 50 years ago when uh, the Nationals started. Sure, sure. So, um, you who who are the people who is the person who are the people who you admire in in the SCCA but uh, uh, that's interesting um there's there, there's a couple of categories almost one is for me it was easy to come back um you know my ego gets stroked i i, I take home a trophy um, um, the drive home, um, uh, a 12 hour tow home after winning an event's pretty, pretty pleasant. Um, for me, it was easy. Um, the folks that show up at events and, um, um, don't take a trophy, but yet come back, you know, I, I really admire that. That says it's almost a pure reason to participate. It's, right. it's a little more honest almost i participate because i've got this massive ego and i'm feeding it okay but the folks that show up and run and don't have a trophy uh, the others i'm reminded sam strano's one of the guys that 
I, I think the world of, I saw Sammy real early on in a, seems to me it was a 280Z at a, a local event north of Pittsburgh. You know, and I tow in with my rig and I'm watching and there's this young guy out doing a phenomenal job in a car that, you know, wasn't quite, you know, the right thing. Sure. But, you know, Sam's got a great record, but he spends so much of his time helping other people. Right. Um, 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 getting their cars right. If he said, to hell with you, I'm working on my effort. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I need to do to win. Um, he'd have a, he'd have an even better record than he does right now. Right. But instead he, he spends his time helping other people. And it's the folks that share events, that organize events, that find sites, that uh, work, you know, that work to put events on and to make them all happen at the sacrifice of their own personal uh, 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 success. Um, uh, those are the people that just amaze me that um, keep coming back and doing it for purer reasons than what I did, you right. know, and, and I admire that a lot. You know, I, I'm, I'm coming up on in a couple of years, 40 years of involvement in this club. Um, not 40 consecutive, so I have like six different membership numbers. <laughs> there was, you know, when you run out of money, you know, you stop for a year or you don't get your yeah, membership yeah. for a year, whatever the case may be. You know, I'm a young, you know, I had a family, starting a family. Sometimes you just, you took a little time off. But anyway, but for the most part, with with, with tiny gaps, I'm going on 40 years, uh, coming up here in 2006. Um, I got started because my dad did it. Um, but I immediately fell in love with the cars and grease under my nails and, and, you know, the whole sense of the thing. But when you get to the point where you've been doing it for 20, 25, 30, whatever years, you're not coming back for the cars anymore. No, you're no, coming no. back because it's family. You know, yeah. I, I call these people my track family. Um, and I would walk in front of a bus for these people. Um, yep. And that's why we do it, right? It's it's the camaraderie. Yep. It's the love of the people. We all are the same. It's kind of like we found our tribe. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and, and for me, um, and I, I think you probably heard this from Dennis Dean and and um, and uh, perhaps some others. Um, the, the, the most rewarding things that I've done in this um, organization came after I quit competing. Um, uh, the Hall of Fame's uh, work. Um, you know, the early years, uh, Dennis and, um, a few other folks put it all together, but, um, they, they started folding more people into the effort. And, um, I know talking with Howard and, and Dennis and uh, a few of us, uh, that's probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done in this organization was, um, looking at the folks that got us to where we are. And, you know, I'm an amateur historian. Um, so we kind of formed a side group that looked at people that had influenced the club, um, uh, um, beyond the edge of, uh, most, um, uh, uh, memory, um, and digging in the records and the archives, who made things happen in 1953, you know, how did this, uh, air base thing, um, with a place to race in the early fifties come about, uh, you know, that beyond rewarding um to me was that work yeah and then even even then along the way some of the other stuff um, um 
first championship in 1981, um, you get done at the end of the day and, and um, you know, there's a keg of beer someplace and um, uh, somebody goes, oh, hey, the, the trophies are over there in a box. Uh, go over there and find yours. Okay, that <laughs> that was the trophy presentation. So I, you know, I said, boy, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so, you know, we started working on formalizing, you know, some of the trophy presentations a little bit, sure. which was easier when we had fewer folks. Right. Um, I didn't care much for, um, um, you know, the event announcing. Uh, so, geez, I jumped into that just to have some fun. And and, uh, and I had a, a mentor at home in Lloyd Loring that kind of made local events exciting just by being an announcer, right? Uh, a PA system. So I dove into that for a few years and um, I had some disagreements with the way the protest committee was being handled. And so, you know, my, my answer is, look, if you're going to complain, you better be willing to dive in. Um, so I spent a few years doing protests. That was so, so rewarding right. to um, sit there and try to adjudicate. People aren't cheaters for the most part. It's, you know, differences of opinion and, and rules interpretation, but to try to adjudicate some of that stuff was yeah. intensely rewarding. So I, I started college as a history major, and, and I've spent most of the last 30 years as a journalist, and I, I kind of consider journalism as the, writing the first the first draft of history. Um, and when Ooh, I was— I like that. When I was um, invited, I was really kind of took taken aback or caught off guard. I was invited last year— to join the Hall of Fame selection nomination process committees. Um, and I've spent the last two years with the Legacy Committee, which uh, deals with people who That's were in the club right. previous to 1960. Um, and I'm glad yep. you've brought this up because um, um, that committee has one more year of existence. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to sunset the Legacy Committee after next year. Um, and um, this is not my pitch to continue the committee. Uh, although I, uh, this is not my pitch to continue the committee, but I would just like to say while we're on the topic that if you are, if you know somebody from those early years who is, um, who did the majority of their work or competing prior to 1960, um, and you think they deserve a spot or a consideration in our, in our hall of fame, um, you can go in and go through the process. You can even do it today. It's uh, the, the, the nominations for this year closed uh, f- six days ago. So it wouldn't be for this year's class. Um, but there's still one more class that the Legacy Committee is going to get to consider uh, next nice. year. Um, and, and I'm going to talk about this a lot in the next, in the next six months. Um, but if you know anybody, if you've heard the legends, if you've heard the, the, lo- the folklore, of someone in your region who who was really instrumental in in what we do here, um, take the time to fill out the form, get some people to also fill out the form and and give some testimonies as to what this person did, um, and we would love to hear from those folks um, because I think that even though the committee is going to sunset, I think there's some people from earlier that still could could get some recognition and deserve that. Do you think do you think I'm 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 going somewhere with that, Roger? Yeah, yeah, I um I concur. And that that was exactly the reason that we um, made a special effort to I'm thrilled you're on that committee. Um one other thing I I'd, I'd like to mention if I might was um 
we sort of fell into a thing with um, competing parties at the nationals. Um, you know, Yokohama was the event sponsor. And of course, my friends at BF Goodrich were always trying to um, um, ride in on um, uh, and, and garner some attention too. So we started one year with a dance. Um, there was uh, concurrent with our presence in um, in uh, Salina that year was the Kansas Hairdressers Convention <laughs> at the same hotel. And the lady running that group was talking to me, you know, doing entertainment. She had a budget. So we ended up hiring a local um, Blues Brothers tribute band. Oh, that sounds awesome. Her group was primarily female. Our group's primarily male. We had a dance. We had a great time. So the next year, we turned it into a joke-off um, okay. competition. Um, the winner, by the way, was Satch Carlson, if that name uh, rings a bell. Mm. Um, used to write for Auto Week, uh, Alaska guy. Okay. okay. And then it developed into a talent show. And part of the concept was, you know, we're out here, there's 800 of us. And there's going to be 50 or 60 that are going to leave happy because they won. And the rest <laughs> um, maybe don't have driving skills, but they have other talents. And for the years, Brian, we did that talent show. Um, for me, it was absolutely the high point of the week. Um, there were serious acts. Um, one of my friends... Um, um, from North Carolina, played Desperado on violin. Oh, wow. my God, it was tears in your eyes. And then some of the funniest, cr most creative, rolling on the floor um, um, uh, skits and comedy that I've ever seen in my life. Um, it truly was the high point of the week outside of the competition. And I'm really, really proud of that. But it was, and, and you know, not everybody's skill is right. behind the wheel. Somebody can play violin. Somebody can do skits, and we had a screaming time. And depending on your competition, that might have been the high point of your week, even with the competition. Yeah, yeah that was the case <laughs> frequently. Yes, no doubt. So you you did this thing for about 20, well, until about 20 years ago. Yep, yep, yeah. 25 years, I hit it pretty hard, yep. And, and, and then you stopped. Yep. Why? Um, the The... The one answer is I didn't leave the sport, it left me. Um, um, we got to the point of uh, parsing differences in vehicles so, so, so finely, um, adding classes. Uh, one of my friends that knows about this podcast said, I know you're going to bring up the too many classes thing. And <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, um, in, in, in my opinion now, uh, there will be 75 classes uh, competing in um, in um, in uh, Lincoln. Lincoln this year. Um, we're getting to the uh, uh, we, we're at the point of giving out participation awards in so many cases. You know, I'm I'm appalled that somebody thinks a three horsepower difference from one Miata to the next says we've got to do a different class. If you look at all the categories and the car preps and, you know, it's um, um, if I uh, 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 have a car that I want to run race tires, but I want to run the stock seat and stock interior, only bolt on engine parts. I, I mean, the, 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 the whole matrix of, of preparation levels and the number of classes is just it, it's confusing to everybody. Right. It hurts uh, marketing. It hurts competition. Um, and. You know, the, the cries about 
Um, build it and they will come. How many, you know, we've tried a zillion things. Uh, sport truck didn't fly. Um, top down imposed classes. Uh, I see Hayward's trying another one now. And in my opinion, those aren't the answer. Um, what people want to autocross, what they enjoy autocrossing, the prep levels that they want to do, has got to come from the bottom up. And uh, um, the proliferation of classes and categories just and, and the destruction of competition to the point then that we had to create classes on index to create competition because we didn't have big enough classes to, um, um, to, to have it happen naturally. So that, that was enough for me. I, um, and plus, uh, uh, in all fairness, uh, we got along the, we got beyond the analog um, uh, stages of autocross. Um, the cars that were out, um, the cars that were there, uh, 2002 Corvette and C06, had way more skills and talent than I did. Um, so um, 25 years was enough and time to let the, um, uh, the dreamers um, have at it. I'm a firm believer in term limits, and it was time. <laughs> well, I will tell you that you, your opinion on that is, is shared by a lot of people. You're, you're, you're not telling me anything I haven't heard over and over again. Um, and I've also heard that... Well, let, 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 let me add one, one comment, and it's not just autocross. Right. Uh, in the years of the two-and-a-half rule in road racing, um, uh, you'd have a, a, cl a class that would not make the two-and-a-half rule by all the... Um, uh, uh, reasons and de definitions by the uh, 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 directors, and they'd find a reason to make an exception to keep the class around some more. Right. You know, uh, people vote with their feet and their money and their investments in cars. And um, when we ignore that, um, we destroy competition. Well, and I've made this argument on the on the club racing side, pretty much identical to this, is that, you know, everyone's crying for more track time. And the easiest way to take care of that is to consolidate classes and have less groups and, and, and more, more time for each race, more time for each qualifying session. Um, yep. and, and, you know, we, we have an, Oh, I, 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 here comes the comments, Roger. There's this really cool thing out there and I absolutely adore it. And it's called vintage racing. And there you go. You know, there's a place for everybody to race, even if we consolidate classes. Um, yep. and, and while I love the older cars, um, there's a place for them and, yep. and we can consolidate them. And if they're no longer competitive, you can still come out and play, you know, yep. just understand that you might not be competitive, but there's a place where you can go and have fun with those and be competitive ish. And that's, that's the, that's vintage racing. So I, I had a, had a discussion with Tim Sutter, uh, who publishes grassroots uh, right. motorsports and some other stuff. And he's a, an old English uh, sports car fan. Mm -hmm. And he lamented that, you know, MGAs and the likes weren't, didn't have places to compete. I'm sitting there saying, okay, Tim, tell me, number one, what class you're going to put it in. And uh, it's probably uh, H stock. Is it going to be competitive there? No. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do, you bring your MGA. I'm going to bring the worst clapped out version of the Chrysler minivan to an event. And I'm going <laughs> to kick your ass. And it was, uh, uh, you know, today's or even yesterday's minivans have capabilities beyond what those cars had. Not that they're not great. Vintage is perfect, right. but you can't keep them current and competitive forever and yeah, keep I'm, creating classes to run them in. I think we could create a vintage solo class 
so yep. that people can still come and have their their fun and and get their it scratched and and still be part of the show and and in and and still come to the nationals and and consolidate a lot of stuff. So they, they, it was tried. Uh, uh, it was called H uh, HC or Heritage Classic or something like that, right. and uh, nobody came. Well, you have to start eliminating the other classes though to make it work. You know, it's only a half-hearted commitment to have a new class, but if you're going to still have another place for all those cars to run, that's really yeah. not not getting it done. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I concur. So anyhow, it left me. It was time. Uh, technology moved on. I didn't, and um, I'm perfectly happy collecting old motorcycles, old radios, and hanging out with my grandkids. But there is some good news to report. Even though you stepped away 20, 20 years ago. Um, I understand that uh, you are going to make a visit and uh, and and join the the crowd at our fiftieth runoff at our fiftieth solo nationals this year. Yep, yep. I'm gonna find a place in the back of the paddock, um, uh, pull my travel trailer in, and um, um, sit there with a beer cooler on one side and a couple chairs in case uh, anybody's still around that um, that um, has memory of. Um, uh, how awesome the eighties were. And we'll sit there and gas about it for uh, half the night. Oh, I, I would love to sit there with you guys and listen to those conversations. You know, a podcast is nothing more than stories told and stories shared. So yeah. um, that's why I love getting together with our hall of famers and, and the folks who have been doing this for a long time. Uh, Cause the stories are, are really what it's all about. And, uh, and, and, and I can't thank you enough for all the time you put into the club and uh, and obviously for coming on and joining me on the podcast here, Roger, I really, really appreciate it. Well, my, it was to my benefit all the way through. And um, I, uh, I got way more out of it than what I put in. And I loved it. All right. So as we get ready to get out of here, I want to remind everybody that um, we're going to have uh, we're going to have a two. I'm sorry, four more episodes. And actually, I'm going to bring you back for one more second, Roger. You had mentioned. <laughs> I, I can never find a way to end the show. Uh, you had mentioned the people that you enjoy are the ones that keep coming back and, and help out with all the stuff, maybe sometimes in uh, in in lieu of their own success. I got to get with yes. Rocky. I, I want to get find figure out who is the person who's done the most solo nationals without finishing on the podium. And I want uh, that Dick person. Ber- Dick, Dick Berger. Dick Berger. Okay. I Dick make Berger. Sure, Absolutely. I want to make sure I get him on the show because that would be yeah. a fun podcast to do. The exact type of person you're talking about there. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, and Dick's one of the folks that adds a lot to the fun of the event. Um, um, uh, not always an, an organizer on that side, but, uh, he's been the recipient of the, uh, Johnson spirit of the sport award, which is somebody that adds to the fun of, 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 um, of doing autocross. Sure. And, uh, sure. Dick's a great guy. Sure. All right, so this is the uh, second of what will be at least six episodes focusing on our Solo Nationals and uh, the 50th anniversary. So stay tuned for information on what our next episode is, is going to be. I think it's coming up in three weeks. Uh, so do that and be with us for that. And uh, we would uh, love for you to show up and uh, and listen to that and watch that as well. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network or the Racing Network on YouTube so you won't miss any episodes. Also, be great if you would leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. If it's a bad one, put it on someone else's page. Follow us on social media uh, to ask a question and find out who our next guest is. On Twitter, it's at RacingWireNet. There's a new Inside the SCC every week, Wednesday nights live on YouTube, Fridays on the podcast. I'm Brian Belansky. Have yourself a fantastic weekend and go play with cars.
Hi, I'm Dorsey Schrader, and this is Inside the SECA. Inside the SECA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests, and not that of the SECA.